This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. I get this question often that why am I doing a mental health awareness podcast? I'm a filmmaker by profession, so what is my connection to mental health? And I just want to share this and I actually have shared this quite a bit in our very earlier episodes that I've seen mental illness very closely and I have witnessed the lack of infrastructure. I have seen the stigma that's attached to it. Uh, I have been a caregiver myself and the podcast is a small effort of ours to see that the future doesn't go through what present and past have gone through. You are listening to the 51st episode of our Mental Health Awareness Podcast, the SOS show. I'm your host, Suchita, and today we have with us Dr. Mega Sharda. The most interesting part of this conversation is she's a mental health professional living with mental illness and thriving with it. Mega Sharda is an applied behavior science lead at a digital wellness startup called Atom. She completed her postdoctoral research at the International Laboratory for Brain Music and Sound. She completed her PhD in neuroscience at the National Brain Research Center in India in 2014. Some of the things that we discuss in today's episode is understanding her own brain, how effective are the medications, why isn't there a 100% result, where is the lack of research, and what is the future of mental health when it comes to AI. Hi Mega, welcome to our podcast the SOS show and thank you for taking out time. Uh, how is the lockdown in Calcutta? Hi, Sujita. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I think uh, the lockdown here is pretty much like anywhere else in the country. Uh, mm. Up until last month, we were having biweekly uh, lockdowns, uh, but I think now the city is opening up, which is uh, both scary and I think convenient at some levels. So yeah. But the work from home is going on. Uh, yes. Yes. So of course your company is based out of Gurgaon and I see you work for a startup called Atom. Yes, that's right. We are a digital wellness startup mm-hmm. uh, based out of Gurgaon. Uh mm-hmm. I started working with them during the pandemic so it's always been work from home. Mhm. Tell me Megha, you know your case sort of really excites me when we started talking about uh, everything related to mental health and mental illness and you are a working professional having bipolar and working in the field of mental health and you have done intense research on mental illness and mental health so this is amazing i think this is a case study in itself so you know coming to the profession later let me start with you as a person having bipolar and we have discussed bipolar in our earlier episodes as well what is it that you go through when you have bipolar episodes You know, I think it took a while to sort of understand uh, yeah. what the diagnosis entailed. It kind of like uh, I was first diagnosed with depression when I was 15. That was really uh, difficult because I didn't really know what was happening, and you know, it was for the first time that I was uh, going through it. It was during my board exams actually that mm-hmm. I had this uh, intense depressive phase, and uh, subsequent to that, you know, during difficult periods, sort of uh, the depression started surfacing regularly. up until uh, 15 years ago when i got sort of an informal diagnosis for the first time i think uh, one of the biggest challenges has been uh, navigating relationships and uh, both professional and personal mm-hmm. uh, because there's a huge uh, variation in how my mood manifests essentially yeah. there's a the, the the biggest difficulty is in 
emotion regulation. So, you know, if I'm, I'm happy or if I'm high, it's like really, really high and energetic and I'm capable and I can do a lot of things at once. But when one the, once the depressive phase sets in, it's kind of really uh, unproductive and dark and low and becomes quite difficult. And, I, you know, you become difficult for the people around you as well. So I think yeah. uh, one of the biggest challenges really has been navigating sort of relationships during the course of this. Yeah, but ever since I have sort of got a formal diagnosis and embraced it and sort of started treatment, I think uh, talking about it in concrete terms has been easier. Talking about it to people around me who are directly affected has been easier. Mm. So so there is that. Yeah. Mm. But yes, you are, you're a full-time working professional handling your life brilliantly. You know, the way I see the amount of work you've done, the amount of degrees you've got. And of course, when it was diagnosed, when bipolar was diagnosed, you could not talk to um, the people around you. Did you tell your mom? Did you speak to your close ones? Um, not for the longest time. No, yeah. I think it was. So you uh, were handling yourself. Was it that you were handling yourself? Uh, I, I don't think I was handling it at all, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think it was mm. just, uh, it was just about trying to understand it for my own self and trying to see what I could do about it. Mm. Uh, I always thought that because I am mental health slash neuroscience professional, I could sort of, if just the knowledge of my illness would be enough to help me navigate it, uh, mm. which uh, in retrospect seems a little silly, but that's what I thought at that time. I did have some support uh, in the form of friends, but I never really conveyed my formal diagnosis to them. It was always, uh, you know, there was always a joke around uh, me being difficult or me just being the way I was, but there was a lot of tolerance for that. Yeah. So, so it, it, it didn't matter much. The problem though, was that because I didn't address the situation in its entirety, I never really got help for the longest time. So. Mm. So, you're such a brave girl, Mega. Tell me, you actually went around researching, was it pre your diagnosis or was it post your diagnosis? So to be honest, um, so there has been a lot of, uh, you know, mental illness and uh, brain disorders in my family. So I've always mm. been fascinated by, you know, how our brain works and things mm. like that. So during college, I started reading a lot of popular neuroscience and uh, it was pretty clear to me that uh, that's what I wanted to study. Mm. And uh, this kind of overlapped with sort of me realizing that there might be something I personally might also be dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so it was kind of really sort of a, a venture, so to say, you know, my, my idea was that, you know, if I study the brain, I might sort of have a better handle at understanding myself. So, so that's always sort of been the case. Yeah. So you, you finished your PhD in neuroscience at the National Brain Research Center in 2014. That's so, right. So, so tell me in terms of understanding your own brain, uh, because you've done the research, what did you find out in terms of what does your brain go through when you are having an episode? Um, I think there's, you know, pros and cons to that. I think, uh, I think, uh, being able to, uh, access sort of information and experiences associated, uh, with uh, a variety of mental illnesses sort of, uh, provides one with a perspective that is broader than one own self. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, in the beginning, it was very sort of, you know, uh, this is a disorder. There is a label associated with it. I have a problem mm -hmm. and I can either deal with it or I can ignore it. But uh, having sort of uh, studied other people, I've mostly worked with uh, children in the past. And but I've also always been interested in uh, 
mental health in general mm-hmm. so uh, one of the things is that uh, one of the things i've realized is that each person's experience is unique mm-hmm. and uh, unlike uh, unlike a fever which manifests rather similarly in most people right. uh, mental illness manifests differently in each person so mm-hmm. uh, it's a uh, and it's a unique combination of not just uh, you know your biology but also your social environment your support mm-hmm. you know how you were brought up and all kinds of things that's a great point actually mega each person has a unique experience when it comes to mental health and vis-a-vis like a fever which is like could be like is similar in every case that's a great point because because i'm going to be asking you about the research uh, in mental health post this uh yeah so i think uh, that was the realization that you know so there is not a, a one size fits all kind of a solution mm-hmm. uh there isn't uh, you know you know i can't just uh, you know read about it and fix it there's also right. many domains there's many domains in which you need to understand uh, different aspects and the other thing was also there is no fixing it really it's not a problem to be fixed i think that was another big realization that it is just it's part of who i am and i need to learn to manage it and not let it affect me or those around me negatively i think that uh, that mm. was the biggest realization yeah that mm. was made easier by just being in the field i think like having you know interacted with so many people with similar experiences that is that kind of made it easier to accept that because you know uh, i had the opportunity to interact with so many people who were dealing with this uh, on day to day basis but who mm. had learned to make it a part of their lives rather than uh, you know looking to reject it or fix it Mm-hmm. so you having an awareness about your mental illness you having an awareness about your bipolar it really helped you to handle and manage yourself oh well it's a work in progress i would mm-hmm. say uh, mm-hmm. i don't think i've truly really understood like i said i was in denial for the longest time uh, yes. i thought i could just uh, you know uh <laughs> walk around it rather than accept it in its entirety so uh, it's right. still a very very new it's uh, it's only been about 7 months since i've embraced therapy and medication uh, right. completely so uh, yeah and and the fact that i'm talking about it is also very new right so you have embraced therapy and medication and how do you feel now um well uh, there are there are good days and bad i think the fact that i've embraced it makes me think that okay now i've finally done this so my life should get better right. <laughs> but at the same time it's not a magic solution it's uh, every day's uh, work and mm. uh, you know some days are better than others so uh, so that's a little disappointing sometimes because mm-hmm. it's really it's not the uh, yeah it's it's not magic there are many other aspects Uh, of life uh, one needs to uh, work at in addition to a therapy and medication i think in order to get better that's the other thing right like i mean uh, yeah. therapy and medication can only go so far yeah uh, so what are the other uh, things <clears throat> um yeah so i think like just i think integrating a sort of a healthy lifestyle right mm-hmm. like you know just exercise spending time with oneself spending time mm-hmm. like building meaningful relationships having that social support which is so so crucial mm. especially for the times when you uh, don't know what to do with yourself and i think that is really key in managing any kind of mental illness all of those factors are equally if not more important than 
medication or therapy uh what medication does is essentially it uh, makes you capable of benefiting from these uh, additional things but by in and of itself it cannot really uh, you know help beyond a certain point so all of these things are really important and i think it's been really challenging for me to understand that i am the one who is going to have to put in this effort Mm. at improving my life because there is really no magic solution and i think just like wrapping my head around that idea has been quite difficult mm-hmm. tell me mega in terms of of course you are aware about yourself and you know you're handling yourself in the best possible way do you feel this is genetic do you feel uh, did you analyze it did you go back to your history Uh yes I did I mean considering I'm a scientist it was inevitable yes. like I uh, it's again like I'm I refrain from sort of paying too much emphasis on my own analysis because it really isn't all that scientific it's just based on uh, my understanding of the people in my family and sort of some of the things that I've seen around me but I am inclined to believe that at least some part of it is genetic Uh the other thing though is that uh, mental uh, illnesses neuropsychiatric disorders in general are quite complex and the way they manifest is a, a you know is a function of a lot of biological and environmental interactions and uh, while some aspect of it might be heritable like during the course of generations different things might interact together mm. you know to manifest as a particular disorder so uh I do think that there is a familial trait in my family although it hasn't really ever been addressed i only say this in retrospect because i sort of see uh, some of my family members also struggling with similar things but not having the language to articulate it because mm-hmm. i think that is another big challenge like one really needs to recognize that there is a problem before one can address it and i think that is the bigger challenge because we tend to shy away from talking about uh, mental health in general right in yeah. our country across the world and uh, it's often associated with intent or you know how much you're willing to work towards something or you know how much emphasis you're paying to something and things like that so very often we tend to disregard things like you know mood and uh, uh in inability to you know have a functional day to day life or to hold down a job or to have uh, stable relationships these things are considered more of a personality trait rather than an in- inability to actually do that as because of an underlying condition sure so in terms of research mega tell me because you're a research professional yourself in terms of the mental health research and i asked this question a lot many times in the earlier episodes as well i know people who have been taking the medications since years and you know we're talking about bipolar here we're talking about schizophrenia here depression but you know they are still non functional or maybe they're just getting by which is i'm talking about like just a 40 to 50% of functionality so there has been loads of research that's been happening over the years since the time we actually found out about mental health about mental illness why is it that despite all the research that we have done so far and mankind has sort of taken leaps and bounds in technology we do not have like a 90% recovery or 95% recovery when it comes to the medications in mental illness uh, yeah i mean that's a great question um so i think the short answer is complexity 
I'll talk a little bit more about that. So I think one of the sure. things is that uh, we understand mental illness purely on the basis of behavior, right? The diagnosis mm-hmm. currently are on the basis of uh, the DSM. And uh, there isn't any... What's a DSM? Sorry. Uh, the diagnostic, sorry. Yeah, the yeah. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is sort sure. of the Bible that psychiatrists use to diagnose right. and understand mental illness in patients. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> So, um, yeah, and it is essentially uh, a repository of symptoms. And uh, that's how we diagnose a mental illness based on behavioral symptoms. Right. And there isn't there isn't any uh, biological or chemical test. A- as a result, uh, there is also no one to one mapping between the biological cause and the behavioral symptom. So you see, there can be multiple ways in which a single symptom might manifest. Right. So there might be multiple underlying biological causes which can lead to the same symptom. Mm-hmm. However, because we are approaching it in a, a you know top-down fashion, we are treating the symptom. We may not necessarily be treating the underlying biological cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, it's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of medications don't work at first uh, go. Uh, the dosage may not be right. Uh, there might be side effects and uh, different people have different uh, biology, right? They metabolize different drugs differently. Yeah. Uh, so so there's a lot of trial and error really to finding the right uh, medication uh, regimen. And uh, which is one of the reasons that uh, uh, neuropsychiatric drugs don't work as effectively as, uh, you know, again, something for uh, a more physical, uh, like something for a, you know, typhoid or cholera or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. <clears throat> um so yeah so those are some of the reasons at the same time i think uh, uh, a lot of uh, neuropsychiatric medication is non-specific so while we are trying to address a single symptom uh we end up targeting sort of like various other uh, brain systems which in turn lead to some of the side effects. Of course, like research has advanced quite a bit in the last few years, ever since sort of the first antidepressants came out, there's like much fewer side effects now. But the efficacy really varies from person to person because uh, something that might work for me is there's no guarantee that it's going to work for the next person. Uh, And uh, just because something hasn't worked for the next person does not necessarily mean that it's not going to work for me. So uh, it's really a lot of work. It's a lot of like constant monitoring of your own uh, sort of, you know, how it's affecting you, how and to be in constant touch with your doctor and be able to, you know, uh, monitor the progress, etc. to find the exact regimen that works best. Mm -hmm. And because it's such a complicated procedure, I think uh, it it is often challenging Mm -hmm. uh, to find that right combination. Right. But also, you know, I have been uh, talking to uh, my who are now my friends, the guests mm-hmm. about medication. And uh, some of them have pointed this out that, like, for example, I think you uh, I think uh, they subscribe lithium for a bipolar. Right. Uh, but I don't know if it's that's a generalized uh, medication. The long term side effect of that is that it might damage your kidneys. Now, that's what I have come to know. I don't know if that's true or not. And even when it comes to something like a schizophrenia, a lot of medications have been pumped in just to keep the person functional. But it could possibly have terrible side effects uh, in the future. But then can it be justified to even ask or challenge uh, people who are putting these medications out there? 
because as you said it's all trial and error so i think it's a little bit more nuanced than that uh, i mean medications certainly have side effects and some of them are long term and mm. quite devastating right. but uh, again like i said it's not the true for uh, it's not the same thing for everyone so one really needs to sort of uh, weigh the pros against the cons sometimes mm. the benefits that one might receive from the medication in the present moment outweigh the cons in the long run however yeah. i think it is it is to each person's own choice right that is something that is uh, non negotiable that every person has the right to decide whether they actually want to put themselves and their bodies through that risk so that's what i think about that but, but then, of uh, course don't have a choice also na mega i mean yes so that's the thing right like yeah. i mean you uh, either you find alternate ways of dealing with it which can often make it more challenging than not Right. or you give into sort of uh, you know just suffering the side effects so i'll tell you about sort of my experience with yeah. this so when i started uh, my medication i've always been very very despite being a, a yeah. scientist myself i sure. because i have always known about the side effects and i have known about the risks it may have and i have been always worried that how it's going to affect my professional life how it's going to affect my productivity and i have been very very wary of taking medication but uh, eventually when i finally did come around and decide to go for it uh the first set of drugs that i took had a ton of side effects i mean mm-hmm. i did not feel like myself i mean i i was a transformed person and i was monitoring these changes day to day day to day but like the thing is that for the first time in my life i was open to it i was like okay i will deal with the changes maybe the side effects will go down after a few weeks which is often the case very mm-hmm. often you know the side effects set in and then they reduce over time when the uh, positive effects start kicking in but in in this case my side effects continued to increase much more so than the would you, you know, would you like to define those side effects some of them um yeah sure so one of the uh, one of the biggest side effects was it made me uh, very very physically restless so i okay. could just not sit in one place mm-hmm. so and this is during the time of the pandemic you know i'm mm-hmm. i'm 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 confined to a single room and i cannot right. sit in place so i'm yeah. essentially just moving you know all the time and yeah. i was unable to sleep i was sleeping for 2 3 hours and i was unable to concentrate on anything i was not able to read i was not able to watch i was mm. not able to do anything uh, the only thing i wanted to do was like talk about my problems to whoever was willing to listen so it was a torturous 4 months because i wasn't really doing anything i was unable to do anything really and uh, during the course of that my own perception of myself like i was you know i i was not able to identify with myself like i didn't have a sense of identity i didn't i couldn't sort of accept that i had done anything in the past it almost seemed that i was living in this current moment and that's all that my life was this mm-hmm. current moment where i was completely uh unproductive and ineffective and uh, you know unhelpful and yeah questioning everything about myself so uh, so that was and for the longest time i thought that that is just a disorder but then after a while i realized that this is just getting to a point where i it's not improving like 4 months is a long time mm. and i didn't have anything else to sort of fall back on it's not like i was going to work or like i was meeting friends that it was just you know temporary thing it was 24/7 mm. uh So I finally decided to uh, speak with my psychiatrist and my therapist and a bunch of other people and when I did uh 
I was given so I was given an alternative drug to treat the side effects of the medication. Right. So um, so yeah. So that happened for a couple of weeks. That worked for a while, but then oh. side effects came back on. And then I was finally like, this is not working and I don't want to take this drug anymore. And that's when my psychiatrist prescribed something else altogether. Mm. And uh, lo and behold, within a week, there was magic. I mean, mm. uh, uh, I saw such a drastic change uh, in that week. And there was, you know, I had like data to support that change. It wasn't just in my yeah. head. So say, you know, I, uh, I found a job, I found an apartment, I kind of like, just like there was suddenly this sort of like functional burst, where yeah. I was able to do a lot more than I had achieved in the last six months. So that's kind of been uh, my journey, as far as medication is concerned. I mean, it's still sort of, it's still monitoring week by week there are still things that keep coming up and I do need to consult my psychiatrist from time to time to see how we can make it better and how we can get to a point where you know it's the right combination of things right, right. Uh, you know I have been getting these uh, these uh, you know couple of mails in random inbox in my whatsapp mm-hmm. uh, which is where you know a, a, a few people have spoken or tried to sort of tell me about the Functioning of the big pharma, mm-hmm. you know, being a mental health professional, uh, they've actually challenged. I think these guys are some are people who are going through their own treatment, and they feel that you know the medications that are prescribed are actually, uh, you know, in uh, you know the 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 doctors and the medications uh, that are being provided are actually can be avoided in the sense that uh, mental illness is not even a chemical imbalance. So do you think that theory is correct or it's just a you know conspiracy theory? Uh, yeah, I mean, considering I'm a scientist, I definitely don't think that's the case. Yeah, uh, I definitely think there is a neurobiological basis to mental illness. Right. Uh, at the same time, I think uh, there are a lot of uh, not all mental illness is uh, a result of, uh, you know, neurobiological causes. Very often the, it is driven by uh, sort of psychosocial symptoms as well. For example, in the case of we know sort of the relationship between uh, depression and suicide, right? Like not mm-hmm. a very small proportion of uh, suicide cases result uh, from depression. So so there are many other causes of suicide as well. And and in our country, I think one of the glaring cases is in the case of uh, farmer suicides, right? Yes. Uh, we can't say that every, every farmer who dies by suicide suffers from a mental illness because there's a lot of, you know, social problems that they are dealing with. So, uh, so I think it's important to consider both of these frameworks. Uh, there is certainly uh, a biomedical cause in many cases, and sometimes directly addressing that can help. But more often than not, uh, it is environmental and social in nature. And I think if we can change our approach to treatment to that, I think we might see more benefits. I think so far the approach to treating mental illness has really been about fixing the problem and through a biomedical lens. And uh, I think we really need to address uh, sort of the other factors which influence, uh, yeah, the manifestation and the severity uh, of mental illness. Mm-hmm. I think even in my case, uh, I think the reason I was able to 
deny or like uh, you know uh, um, my problems for a long time was because i had a very strong social support when i was in college and when i was doing my phd and i had a really strong social support in terms of friends mm-hmm. as a result i was uh, you know shielded from a lot of the negative effects it's only when sort of like uh, over time you know one becomes one does not have that kind of a social support and one is more you know uh, alone and uh, yeah. left to deal with one's problems by oneself that uh, this starts uh, becoming much 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 harder to deal with so i think even in my own case i think i've seen that this is a big factor and i think having support is goes a long way in and dealing with all kinds of uh, problems Okay, Mika, tell me about, have you heard about Neuralink? Uh, I think I, we had this brief discussion yesterday about planting chips in the Yes, in the brain. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this AI and human combination uh, to sort of uh, improve mental illness, what do you think of that as a mental health professional? <sighs> I mean uh, I think I think technology is great it can mm-hmm. uh, enable us to do a lot of things with ease and mm-hmm. uh, it's great that people are trying to solve big problems with big data etc mm-hmm. but uh, but I think uh, like I said uh, you know mental illness does not have a core cause in the brain alone there are a lot of you know social issues associated with it it is after all a, a people's problem and I think we need uh i think we need to make social changes uh mm-hmm. more than implanting chips in the brain to deal mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. and uh, while uh, perhaps this kind of an approach can provide some insights mm-hmm. uh into you know how how the brain works what are some of the circuits involved etc mm-hmm. but uh you know uh, data has shown that you know all kinds of these uh you know approaches like the, the approach of trying to find a single gene for depression etc hasn't really worked i mean 20 years of research has been debunked to show that you know this is far more complex to understand uh, and fix like a single problem so as a result sort of developing personalized uh, biomedical or biotech solutions to mental illness seems uh, rather far fetched if not impossible to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if, what if what if they do some research where they can go and erase your memory like the film ಎಕ್ಸ್ಪೀರಿಯನ್ಸಿಂಗ್ಸಿಂಗ್ಸಿಂಗ್ಸಿಂಗ್ಸಿಂಗ್ಸಿಂಗ್ಸಿಂಗ
but uh, more often than not it's really about developing a perspective uh, that is adaptive and functional and having meaningful relationships in life is is what really makes one happy maybe we maybe we need an ai who can make the world more empathetic more supporting and more understanding for us to function better as a whole Absolutely. as a collective <laughs> indeed indeed i think that <laughs> that would be awesome yeah. okay thank you so much mega so much for your time um, and i think it was a great conversation thank you so thanks for joining in thanks yeah it was great thank you So that's it folks I hope this was an informative episode uh, what do you guys think about mental illnesses and research if you have any stories if you would like to share something you know where to find us